Are you interested in sharing an update on your corporate sustainability program, or are you a supplier interested in raising awareness for your energy and sustainability solutions? Consider sponsoring the Smart Energy Voices podcast. Check the show notes for details on packages. Collaboration, I say, is at the heart of progress, any progress, especially when you're in the business of market making (laughs) and you have a lot of different stakeholders who don't agree. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Hi, everyone. I'm John Fiella, and welcome to Smart Energy Voices. Today, we're fortunate to be joined by Janice Lynn, founder and CEO of Stratagen, also founder and president of the Green Hydrogen Coalition. Janice has distinguished herself as a leading clean energy change maker and visionary, bringing over two decades of experience in clean energy strategy and market development, including her role as co-founder of the California Energy Storage Alliance and the Energy Storage North America Conference and Expo. Janice, thanks for joining me here today on Smart Energy Voices. It's great to have you with us. And I think maybe the best place to start is is to have you give us a brief overview of your current activities at both Stratagen and the Green Hydrogen Coalition. Thank you, John. It's really a pleasure to join you today on this podcast. And I'm happy to talk about Stratagen and the Green Hydrogen Coalition. Stratagen's a professional services firm I founded in 2005 with the goal of accelerating energy system decarbonization. We're a consulting firm. We operate throughout the United States. We have a subsidiary in Australia, and we work at the leading edge of where change is happening in markets for clean energy. Stratagen, the name comes from a Native American saying that you plan strategy not for your next generation, but seven generations down the line. And we operate, we're a unique services firm that operates at the intersection of what makes clean energy bankable and financially attractive. So understanding business models, we have a deep, deep understanding of the regulatory landscape and how to innovate from a market design perspective. We have deep modeling capabilities and objectively evaluating different pathways forward, looking at capacity expansion modeling on the power sector and looking at alternative trade-offs. And then lastly, we have really deep expertise in stakeholder engagement and creating alignment among a diverse array of stakeholders to make change actually happen. Over the years, we started a number of nonprofits in the pursuit of our mission. The first was the California Energy Storage Alliance, which we still operate to this day. The second was the Vehicle Grid Integration Council, which represents EVs as a strategic grid resource. And most recently, the Green Hydrogen Coalition which is a 501c3 focused on facilitating policies and practices to advance green hydrogen production and use at scale to accelerate multi-sectoral decarbonization. I had no idea 
of how broad your activities are. And it's interesting, Janice, our our missions are totally aligned. Smart energy decisions is all about helping accelerate the energy transition and help large power users decarbonize their energy and your missions to accelerate the decarbonization of energy systems. While our missions are very aligned, the approaches we're taking are very different and complementary. It's great to see the work you're doing and congratulations on the tremendous amount that you've already accomplished in pursuit of helping the world decarbonize their their energy systems. We have to talk about green hydrogen. It's obviously an area of expertise for you, and it seems like the interest meter is off the charts for all things hydrogen, particularly in in the last six months. Why do you think there's all this fuss about hydrogen at this moment in time? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, we've been talking about hydrogen for probably more than two decades and I have to confess, I, when I first heard about hydrogen, maybe about 15 years ago, I was deeply skeptical. <laughs> but here we are today, and I find myself a green hydrogen advocate. And I think what's different today, even in the last, from five years ago, and certainly the fervor has increased over the last six months, is several key factors. And one, I think, most people can agree that climate change is no longer theoretical. So there's a sense of urgency to do something. And not only in the power sector and in transportation, but for those sectors that are really hard to decarbonize. And so green hydrogen is a pathway to deep decarbonization of those sectors. Third, it's what's new today is that the pathways to produce hydrogen from renewable sources are much more affordable today and are on a trajectory to be even lower cost than the pathways we've traditionally used to make hydrogen, which is largely from fossil fuels. So that's a game changer that we're within single digit years of green hydrogen being lower cost than gray hydrogen. That's that's profound. And as one of our favorite choices that everyone's been talking about is the electrolytic pathway. So using really low cost wind and solar to split water to create hydrogen. That wind and solar is the lowest cost source of energy at the margin today. And that wasn't the case five, 10 years ago. Another reason there's a lot of excitement about hydrogen is it can be used to repurpose existing infrastructure So what that means is a lot of our existing infrastructure, pipelines, power plants can be repurposed with a zero carbon fuel. And that is exciting from a job transition and energy transition standpoint, and frankly, making our energy system at the system level more affordable. And then the last reason, and some of the, some countries are on the bandwagon on this point, big time, and that is that green hydrogen represents a huge economic development opportunity at a global scale. That's a great list of of (laughs) reasons. And there are a couple that resonate with me in particular. Companies that want to decarbonize their thermal loads is one. And two, three, four years ago, when the thrust of interest was on renewable energy procurement, industrials were able to say, well, I I can't do much with electricity because most of my load is for thermal. 
And now that the shift has been from renewable energy targets to emission reduction targets, the industrials can no longer say that doesn't impact me. They now are frantically trying to find ways to decarbonize their thermal loads. And I guess hydrogen is really the great hope. And the point you referenced about solar and wind being used as the energy source to create the hydrogen so that it's purely green and renewable is, I think that's what everyone's kind of banking on and and hoping for. Well, John, I do want to mention that that's a very promising at scale method to produce unlimited quantities of green hydrogen. But remember, there are other pathways to make renewable hydrogen from reforming biogas to gasification of organic waste You can even gasify plastic and create hydrogen. And these other pathways where we're using waste streams to make a useful decarbonized fuel is great because it solves, you know, what is that saying? Kill two birds with one stone. (laughs) We as humans on this planet are creating a lot of waste. And if we can convert that waste, whatever's not recyclable or not compostable, convert it into a useful fuel that can displace fossil fuels, that's a win. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. Now, in in thinking about hydrogen, I've heard about it referred to both as a fuel source, as we've been discussing, but also as an energy storage mechanism. What do you think is is the bigger opportunity and are there varying timeframes for both use cases? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm glad you brought that up because often folks, when they think about hydrogen, they just think of it as an alternative fuel, just they just think about the energy value, but its capacity and storage value is really amazing. And that was my entry point into hydrogen. So I was running the California Energy Storage Alliance, and we asked this question of, well, what kind of storage will we need in the future when we're looking at really high penetration, 80, 90, maybe even 100% renewable electricity in the future? And when we did the analysis, it became clear that to achieve 100% renewable electricity with low-cost, intermittent, variable resources, we would need a lot of bulk storage and on the order of multi-day, weekly, and even seasonal storage. That has tremendous value, particularly because the only alternative to achieve that quantity of storage today is really storing fossil fuels. So if you want and believe in a low cost, zero carbon future, we need to have some sort of storable, bulk, seasonal, monthly, weekly capacity that can be dispatched when we need it. Now that application is really exciting also because it can scale, right? So when we're talking about even one power plant, the amount of hydrogen that would be needed to displace gas and be stored locally is very large. And this application is actually a combination of both the capacity value, the storage value, and the energy value because you're displacing natural gas. We're excited about that application because it's scalable. It has the means to drive down the cost very quickly. Other applications that we've been working on for a very long time with lots of success, especially here in California, is using hydrogen as an alternative fuel for transport. So you've heard of fuel cell EVs. I think California now has more fueling stations here than any other state or province in North America. 
that's a very high value application at the margin because it's displacing diesel and gasoline. However, one challenge with that application is we suffer a little bit from chicken and the egg because there simply aren't that many fuel cell vehicles on the road, not yet. So the short answer is, which is the bigger opportunity? They're both huge. One, we believe, has the potential to scale more quickly and provide positive externalities to the fueling applications, transportation fueling applications, which are already underway. And the positive externality is now those applications will have much lower cost green hydrogen available to them. Fascinating. Boy, you're really doing a great job of painting the broad picture for all of the impacts that hydrogen can have as both a clean fuel source and as a storage mechanism to help facilitate the energy transition. So so thank you for that. One of the things I'd like to drill down in a little more detail on, Janice, because of its high level of relevance to an important part of our audience, which are industrial companies, Industrial companies, manufacturer companies, are they're looking at hydrogen as a fuel source solution to decarbonize their thermal loads, as we discussed earlier. What do you think is really necessary for that potential to be to be realized? Oh, that's I think a great application for green hydrogen, and I think the the industrials have the appetite to decarbonize, and <laughs> we now have the tool before us and. What's going to make that feasible, I would say there's two fundamental things that are required. One is we need to get the cost down, right? In this country, natural gas is probably the predominant fuel source for those thermal loads, and it's very inexpensive. Green hydrogen has the potential to come down in cost, again, scaling on other applications, but it's not just the production cost that needs to be low. We need to have low delivered cost. So what we need is infrastructure. Think pipelines, regional storage, the same sort of infrastructure we have today for natural gas. We need that infrastructure for hydrogen. The good news is it is possible to blend hydrogen into the existing gas pipeline to start up to a certain threshold. According to information I've seen from the Department of Energy, they say blends up to 15, 20% are theoretically possible without major modifications. Of course, we need to study that and look at it more, you know, impacts to end-use loads. So that would be really a game changer is how do we get the low-cost at-scale production of green hydrogen to the point of consumption is via infrastructure. Ultimately, we will have 100% hydrogen pipelines. Until then, and especially when we're using a blend, The second major piece of infrastructure that's needed is an accounting mechanism to track the carbon reduction within the supply chain when you're producing and using green hydrogen and also in finished goods. I believe that there is consumer appetite to potentially pay more for decarbonized end products. Imagine buying a new cell phone, and if you knew that this cell phone was made with decarbonized process heat energy decarbonized fuel to bring it around the world from wherever it was made, maybe that, you know, consumers would be willing to pay 50 cents more. I mean, it would be a marginal, marginal incremental difference at the finished good. And if we had the accounting mechanism to track that, that creates the compensation mechanism and the value stream to overcome this initial hurdle of the higher cost. 
So the cost, I mean, you hit cost first, and I think that's right on with, I had a conversation with one beverage industry manufacturing company who said that on some of the pilots they've done, the cost factor is like 7X using hydrogen compared to natural gas, in part because of the whole distribution piece, right? So that infrastructure is really going to be key. Who do you think pays for the installation of that new distribution infrastructure? Is it similar to what's happening now in electricity, where you have some independent entrepreneurs building transmission infrastructure from high wind production areas to cities? Or is it utilities that are going to have to bite it off? Is it the government that needs to step up? How do we get that infrastructure built? There are multiple pathways, and most folks don't realize this, but there's already quite a bit of infrastructure that already exists for hydrogen. Hydrogen's a very mature industrial commodity mark product, about 100 million metric tons sold annually around the world. I think the U.S. produces about a seventh of it. We have 1,600 miles of hydrogen pipeline already in commercial operation. Already, okay. Mostly connecting oil refineries in the Gulf Coast. It's all gray hydrogen. So we have pipelines, we have storage, above ground storage, below ground storage, and salt caverns. So we know how to make, operate, and use this infrastructure. And all of that infrastructure, because it's primarily serving existing commodity uses of gray hydrogen, is owned primarily by stakeholders in that industry, industrial gas companies, oil refineries. Remember, the number one use of hydrogen today is in oil refinery. Number two is for making ammonia, of which most of it goes to fertilizer. So when you ask about the future of who's going to own and operate this infrastructure, unclear. Could it be those incumbents that already own and operate existing gray hydrogen infrastructure? Possibly. And some of them have made announcements all over the world about their intention to go big on green hydrogen. Could it be utilities that own and operate existing gas and electric infrastructure? Because remember, you can move the hydrogen as a molecule in a pipeline, but you can also move electrolytically, move the hydrogen via electrons and make it locally. So there's a pathway to optimize both the gas and electric infrastructure. And the third option that you mentioned, could it be some really smart developer, entrepreneur, who's (laughs) well-financed, developing third-party owned infrastructure, that is also possible. And remember that it is possible also to develop locally produced green hydrogen, both electrolytically from waste and deliver it either through infrastructure or by road transport. So there's so many degrees of freedom. And frankly, I think that's why I find this space so fascinating because there are so many pathways to achieve outcomes that work for consumers and society. Right. And while hydrogen's been around for a while, this broader scale use is it's somewhat the early days. And I, I'm wondering if you see any analogies regarding where we are today with hydrogen compared to the evolution of battery storage, which you've had an incredible vantage point on. There are so many analogies, actually. (laughs) And we got started in energy storage for the power sector. It was, let's see, I started working on energy storage in, I want to say, 2006. And I would say where we are today 
with hydrogen is where we were with storage circa 2009. In 2009, we were just starting the discussion on what should be the appropriate legal and regulatory framework for storage in the power sector. And we did that via legislation in California. It was AB 2514. And here we are in 2021, having the same conversation via another proposed legislation in California, Senate Bill 18, to say, to look at what is the appropriate legal and regulatory, how do we define green hydrogen? Back then it was, how do we define storage? Now we're thinking about how do we define green hydrogen? How should we incorporate it into the state's decarbonization plan for multi-sectoral decarbonization? So yeah, I would say about 2009 is where we are today. And the common thread between then and now is one legislator, a Senator Nancy Skinner here in California. Now, that's not to say there's progress happening all over the world on hydrogen and green hydrogen. I mean, there is huge progress. So that's a key difference. I would say in circa 2009, this energy storage discussion was largely contained to California. What's different about hydrogen and why I think the green hydrogen economy will accelerate much more quickly than battery storage is it's already a global conversation. It's already a topic for how countries, countries are vying right now to be the top producer of green hydrogen, and they have plans to export it to the four corners of the world. That's very exciting. I would say the other similarity, and and this is probably true in many regions around the world, we're at the same stage of creating alignment among interested stakeholders as to what green hydrogen is and how can it be used and what are the cost benefits and the applications and how are we going to account for this? So that is very much reminds me of the early days of the storage market. Oh, that was wonderful. So there are clear analogies, but you see some advantages with hydrogen that will actually allow it to scale, deploy faster. And the argument makes a lot of sense. It's something that's already in broad use, maybe for other reasons, for other use cases, but it it is already a well-established sector. And that legacy use, if you will, is going to help really accelerate the growth and deployment of it. Yeah, plus these trends, right? So we have these other trends, which is, oh, there's ways to make green hydrogen that are on trajectory to be very low cost. Hmm. It is a game changer for decarbonizing these hard to abate sectors. And it's potentially a real economic powerhouse because All these sectors, which we know have to transform, a lot of that infrastructure can now be repurposed. And I'll give you an example. So one of the projects we've been working on is the conversion of a coal plant in central Utah. It's called Intermountain Power Project. This coal plant's been around for a very long time, and it's getting converted to a hydrogen turbine. So we're going from coal to gas-hydrogen blend to, in the future, 100% green hydrogen. Same plant, maybe some different equipment on site, same workforce, a far different future, and a way different emissions profile. Wow. That project actually gives us a great segue to begin talking about the important work that you're doing at the Green Hydrogen Coalition. So I'd like to maybe shift 
give us some detail on the work that you're doing at the Green Hydrogen Coalition. What's the mission and what are the current activities associated with the coalition? Sure. So the GHC, I founded the GHC in 2019 as a 501c3 nonprofit. So it is a mission-driven educational nonprofit. And the mission is to advance the production and use of green hydrogen at scale, because our thesis is we have all the technology to do this. It's just a market design and scaling challenge. And once we can scale it, drive the cost down, we can achieve multi-sectoral decarbonization. There's a lot of hydrogen-focused nonprofits and different initiatives around the world. And I would say that the GHC is unique in that, one, we're solely focused on advancing the green hydrogen economy. That doesn't mean that we're against blue hydrogen or other pathways for decarbonization. Frankly, we need all of the above and we need to go as fast as possible. But we are focused. You know, I'm a big believer of what you focus on is what you get. We're a believer that green hydrogen is going to be the lowest cost solution in the long term, advancing the green hydrogen economy through at scale commercial deployment of projects and infrastructure. So I'll give you a flyover of our initiatives. We have three primary initiatives. The first, we're really focused on creating an appropriate legal and regulatory framework for green hydrogen at the state level. And our first focus area is California. Why California? Because California off-takers will be the primary beneficiary of this conversion of the coal plant in central Utah. So the conversion of Intermountain Power Project. Los Angeles Department of Water and Power is the largest off-taker. Again, the goal is to convert that plant to 100% green hydrogen gas turbine because the off-takers are for the most part in California, that's why we have this focus on the appropriate legal and regulatory framework for where that power is going. So that's initiative and priority one. So we let the realization of that very large scale project guide our legal and regulatory priorities as a nonprofit. Our second big initiative is with an eye towards regional development, because remember, Earlier, we talked about it's not enough to get the production costs down. We need low delivered costs, and that requires infrastructure. Infrastructure to be really cost-effective requires a regional solution. So last fall, the GHC formed the Western Green Hydrogen Initiative. This is a public-private partnership between the GHC, the National Association of State Energy Officials, NASIO, and the Western Interstate Energy Board. So this is a state-led initiative to support the development of comprehensive regulatory policy and uh, basically a commercialization roadmap for green hydrogen projects and the ecosystem at scale. So I, I think of initiative two because no state has like an agency that's just solely responsible for, <laughs> for green hydrogen, right? We don't have the organizational capacity today and green hydrogen because of its flexibility touches many agencies. It touches all aspects of different sectors, industrial sector, transportation power. So we need that focus at the regional and state level to drive progress. That's initiative two. Our third initiative is geared towards accelerating strategically targeted regional ecosystem development. We call it High Deal North America. 
And it's modeled after a very similar and very successful effort that was launched about a year ago in Europe called High Deal Ambition. What High Deal Ambition endeavored to do is to accelerate ecosystem development to achieve a targeted deliver price point. In their case, it was 150 euro per kilogram delivered, delivering large-scale green hydrogen supply to multi-sectoral off-takers, power plants, fertilizer manufacturers, industrial chemical applications. We're taking their lessons learned, in fact, working with much of the same team to replicate and initiate targeted ecosystem development here in North America. We're calling it High Deal North America. Key difference here is we are targeting $1.50 per kilogram delivered in strategically targeted locations. So that is our third initiative. It's very practical. It's hands-on. And the goal is, again, to achieve low-cost delivered green hydrogen at scale for real customers with a real footprint and a real system map. That's an awesome project. We look forward to uh, covering its progress as things unfold. Tell us about the roadmap for the Green Hydrogen Coalition. What's next? Well, consistent with our adage, you know, we got to be focused to achieve real impact. Our goal is to achieve impact and progress on all three of our initiatives. We're hoping that we'll have tangible progress here in California on establishing appropriate legal and regulatory framework for green hydrogen at the state level. We are concurrently facilitating really exciting and inspired collaboration among the states who are participating in the Western Green Hydrogen Initiative. And by the way, you know, that group has identified policy and regulatory sharing of best practices as one of their key focus areas, as well as modeling. Because remember, we talked about one of the ways to achieve an affordable pathway forward is utilizing the infrastructure we have. So there's a lot of that sort of brand new analysis that needs to be done for what's the most cost-effective way to produce the green hydrogen and deliver it to large end users. And we can optimize the electric sector and the gas sector. And then thirdly, on High Deal North America, our goal is to establish a successful platform that can be improved with each iteration and rapidly replicated throughout the country. My, well, you made tremendous impact on the storage market with your work on the California Energy Storage Alliance. And based on what you've described here, it sounds to me like you're going to have even more impact on the energy transition with the Green Hydrogen Coalition. So good luck to you. And at Smart Energy Decisions, we'll We'll do everything we can to support you, Janice. Thank you, John. So we've talked about green hydrogen. We've talked about the Green Hydrogen Coalition. Let, let's let's talk a little bit about you. You clearly have a tremendous amount of passion for clean energy. And tell us a little bit about why you're so passionate about this space. Yeah, I have to say, I have the funnest job in the world <laughs> every day, and it's it's so fun. I think what draws me to this space is, one, is it's consistent with my values. I, I really care deeply about our home, this planet Earth, and I'm also just personally drawn to hard things, and making big changes in the energy space is hard. 
it's really hard. It's complex from a regulatory business model standpoint. It suffers from status quo that's deeply ingrained. Yet, if we are able to make changes, it's so rewarding. You can see the tangible impacts that can ripple throughout the world. And it's extremely satisfying to, even if it's some small part, to have an impact on putting history on a cleaner trajectory. Again, not for our kids, but seven generations of kids to come. And that's, that's, that's worth extra elbow grease. Yeah, it sure is. Well, uh, that long-term time horizon is certainly fuel for the type of effort that it's taken to accomplish what you've accomplished. So you're drawn to tough things. What's been the greatest challenge in your career? Yeah, this is something I continue to struggle with, and that's balancing my personal life with work life. I'm super passionate about my work. I love my work, but I'm also highly aware and cognizant that it has come at a cost of spending less time with family and the people who are most dear to me. And that's precious. So, you know, it's something, you, what do they say? Awareness is the first step. Yes. <laughs> really finding that balance. But that, that has definitely been my greatest challenge. Thank you for being so honest with that response. And I've shared that challenge. I, I'm not sure I've mastered it. But good luck in your pursuit of seeking balance. It's a challenge. And I unfortunately don't have many tips for you there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have found a way to work with your kids. (laughs) Yeah, having both my daughters in the business has been a real joy. It truly has been. So thanks thanks for acknowledging that. What accomplishments are you most proud of? The thing that brings me the most joy is seeing the success of others. And this can be anywhere, really. It's, I have an amazing team. I I work with some of the smartest, most passionate, dedicated people. Like, it's a gift to get to work with this group of people and to watch their careers mature and each one of them grow in different ways and take on more responsibility and leave an impact, their own respective. That's incredibly satisfying. I love seeing people in the industry at large that we interact with. One of our key roles in this market-making activity is to find and help elevate champions. When we can do that and find champions who, in their own respect, can achieve amazing things, things that we could never do on our own, that is really satisfying. And those champions could be It could be a staffer in an energy commission, somebody who like never would even show up on a press release. And they're amazing. These are the unsung heroes that make stuff happen. Or it could be a legislator. I mean, look at what Senator Nancy Skinner has done for California and the planet. I I tell her she's she's really the, the mother of energy storage. And look what's happening around the world today. But she was she was the first leader, she and Jerry Brown. That's what's so satisfying. And especially when, you know, over the years that I can personally stay in touch with them. And I don't know, it just builds a more interesting and connected fabric of co-conspirators that are, are doing like really cool things. Yeah, 
That's wonderful. So it's interesting. We Our mission is very much aligned and the value of taking joy in the success of others is also very much aligned. Our, our tagline at Smart Energy Decisions is your success is our business. And we feel strongly about focusing on the success of both our readers and our supplier partners. And I've come to appreciate that the more energy you invest in the success of others, it's got this miraculous way of coming back to you. So it's nice to hear you say that. And I really appreciate the sentiment. Who's had the greatest influence on your career? Yeah, boy, that's a tough one because I've had so many mentors along the way. I think if I I really had to distill it down, I, I couldn't pick any one person I would probably choose my mom and my kids. My mom, because since I was a little kid, she always drilled into me from a very young age, you have to be independent. You have to be able to stand on your own two feet and just take care of yourself. And I think that was a a mindset that kind of drove me to become an entrepreneur. And then I'd say my kids too, because they're a constant reminder that what I work on, I better make the time count because I could be spending time with them. So it has to, and they're a constant reminder to have balance and to always put the most important things first on that part of my life that is work because they're there. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Well, God bless your mom. And Janice, it's interesting. Many of the folks that I talk to on Smart Energy Voices are committed and passionate about what they do in part because of the greater sense of well-being they think it's going to have on their kids and their kids' kids. And you are the first person that's referenced thinking seven generations out, but the (laughs) sense of doing something good for the future is something that really, I think, pervades people in our industry. Finally, how important has collaboration been during your journey. My impression is you've got an uncanny knack of being able to not only engage in collaborative activities, but make them work. And they're so difficult to do and to do well that I'm curious as to how you've been able to collaborate so effectively with others. Yeah. Collaboration, I say, is at the heart of progress, any progress especially when you're in the business of market making (laughs) and you have a lot of different stakeholders who don't agree and sometimes have deep baggage where they, you know, it was personal years ago and healing those wounds and getting people to work together in the areas they can agree is critical path to making progress happen. And, And by the way, that collaboration is one of the key philosophies that underpins all of our work all of the nonprofits that we form, and it makes for healthier groups. I would say one of the techniques that we've used is empathy. And I'll give you an example. You know, in the early days of starting the storage market, there was a lot of opposition. Utilities in particular were really not happy about storage, about the prospect of even being required to focus on storage, to consider procurement targets, it was very, very contentious. And I, I think what turned the corner, and, and today uh, utilities are the biggest champions of storage. It's, it's really quite amazing 
CISA now has utilities within CISA, uh, the California Energy Storage Alliance. And, you know, when I look back on that journey, a lot of it was really about bringing people together and creating the environment where they could be honest, share their views in a non-confrontational way, and really empathize with the other, right? Some of their concerns early on were, were valid. And so in the beginning, we started this meeting called the Market Development Forum. I mean, literally, it was started in 2010, right, when we started CISA. It was invitation only. It was a very intimate gathering. And I'd say for the first five years of that MDF, I would kick off that meeting by saying, look, we're all here to help each other and have empathy. So your assignment for the day is imagine the person in this room that you find most annoying and pretend they're you're them for the entire day. <laughs> and, and see if we can't open our minds. So I think in summary, the key to effective collaboration is finding ways to open people's mindset to possibility. Oh my, what a gem of a philosophy and point of view. Collaboration is at the heart of all progress and kind of empathy is the key to effective collaboration. The thought of starting meetings by saying, hey, imagine, put yourself in the role of the person you find most annoying in the room. Man, if that doesn't help you establish a mind shift, I don't know what else will. That's very special and very unique. So congratulations, because I think you've obviously, you've been successful at it. And I can't thank you enough for sharing your point of view on that topic. And I think collaboration is at the heart of all progress is a uh, soundbite that I'm going to retain <laughs> and always attribute to you when I use it, Janice. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for the time today and for joining me in this important conversation. And thank you for the work that you do. This, this work is essential and so helpful to informing and educating and also inspiring a lot of people in the world today. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. And thank you, Janice. And as we're ending on the theme of collaboration, I, I hope we'll get a chance to collaborate on things as time marches on. To our listeners, thanks for engaging with our content and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn about how you can become a part of our next Smart Energy Decisions event, visit our website, smartenergydecisions.com. We're excited about sharing conversations with dynamic leaders of the energy transition like Janice in this podcast, on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks for joining us and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. 